Hello and welcome back to episode two of Behind the Desk with Mark Thomas, the podcast where I meet some of the leading figures in the insurance and insurtech space and bring you insight into their views and opinions on the sector, career journeys, as well as a deeper look at the actual person behind the desk. In this episode, I bring you another brilliant CIO, Joanne Sappho. Joanne has recently left her role at Digital Partners, part of the Munich Regroup, where she spent the last two and a half years as their CIO. We talk about the early years of her career in banking, the transition to insurance, and being one of the first people in the startup, which was Digital Partners. We also get into a bit more about Joanne and her life away from work, her love of hip-hop music, and the Middle East. Joanne is undoubtedly an inspiring young tech leader with an exciting future ahead of her. A true example of how you can progress quickly in the sector if the right opportunities are presented to you and you work your ass off. So without further delay, let's get back behind the desk with Joanne Sapper. So welcome back to Behind the Desk with Mark Thomas. We've got a, a fantastic guest, Joanne Sappho. Joanne, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mark. Thanks for taking some time out to speak to us. And uh, and yeah, look, I would have given you an intro before this, but but I can never really do it justice. So um, so over to you, really. Can you give us a kind of the, the highlights of who you are, what you do, and, and, and your current situation be, would be really good. Cool. Yeah, so I'm Joanne, Joanne Sappho. Um, I am a, a CIO. My most recent role was a CIO at a company called Digital Partners, which was a subsidiary of Munich Re. And we were a business that works with insurtechs and really look at disrupting the insurance industry. I spent the majority of my career in insurance. I've worked in insurance, reinsurance, insurtech, life, non-life health. I've done global positions, worked in the UK, US, Asia, Europe. Um, So I've got a really broad insurance spectrum. In my more recent times, I've been a lot more focused on technology. Um, So my most recent role was CIO at DP. I was running all of their technology that included infrastructure, engineering, product, you name it, I've done it. I like to think that what I'm really good at is challenging the status quo, building things from scratch and fixing problems. So a bit of an all-rounder generalist. Sadly, I think I quite love insurance. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah you mean you'll be surprised at the amount of people on this podcast and we'll get we'll get into why you love insurance a bit later on but uh i, I don't think that's quite as uh as, as sad but hopefully for not the people that listen <laughs> to this anyway is that, uh, that that people may think it is um so so look you mean obviously done a, a lot of stuff there um and hopefully you won't mind me saying but in in a relatively short space of time especially uh given kind of the 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 the, the normal kind of age of a lot of people in these these types of roles um, are you saying i look young the the younger cio so it's bit to yeah yeah (laughs) definitely definitely (laughs) get get some brownie points early on um so so what talk talk me talk me through a bit of the background of like how you got into um into kind of tech and insurance because i I know it's obviously you started your career in in more in banking and then transitioned into insurance so how, how talk me through how that happened I guess like most people who work in insurance, I never had a burning desire to work in it. I didn't really understand it, didn't really know what it was. Um, Even when I was at school and all through university, I didn't really have an idea about what it is that I wanted to do. I was quite naughty at school. um, So I just got pushed into whatever (laughs) my dad said to me was good, which was boring stuff like business and and economics. But I did start to really like technology when I got to around A-level. So I did IT as an A-level. Then I went to university, again, had no idea what I wanted to do. And then investment banking was something that I always thought was really cool and that I'd like to get into it. So I I studied investment at university. 
and then ended up working at Goldman Sachs in in the summer, like just in the HR department as a um, a summer job, and then ended up working there full time when I finished uni in their accounting department. And I thought it would be a really good idea to do it just because it was Goldman Sachs and I wanted to do investment banking. But what I didn't know was that I was going to hate accounting and it really wasn't for me. Um, no disrespect to anyone that's an accountant, but it's quite a repetitive job and it's quite in the detail and it just didn't suit me. Um, but I stuck it out for a couple of years. You know, Goldman Sachs is a really great place to work. And then I just got really fed up of working in accounting and I thought I don't want it to get too late for me being a graduate to try and do a graduate program because they can be really great in terms of accelerating your career and giving you broad experience. So I just applied to every single graduate program I could find and one of them happened to be at Munich Re. Uh, so I went along for the assessment day. You know, in my mind, I had the idea that I was going to go for the underwriting position. But actually, they called me and said, oh, you know, we want to offer yeah. you a, a graduate role, but in the IT department. And I, I had no, no idea really about IT. And it was actually for a business analyst role. Um, but I was just so desperate for a change that I oh. took it. And then I ended up falling in love with the job. Um, a business analyst, you know, really business analyst project management is my trade, I would say. And I think it just really suits me in in, in the fact that. Every day you do something different. You know, you, you speak to so many different people. You have to be good at communication. You have to be a good problem solver. So all of those things really worked, you know, to my advantage. And that's kind of how I started off in tech. Even though I was more on the project management side, I did a lot of big IT transformation projects and strategic projects. And then, yeah, I, you know, I was working at Munich Re and it's such a big company, a big organization in so many different regions. I had a, it felt like I did a, a lot of different roles within, within Munich Re, even though I was, you know, in one company for a long time. I did a stint in Abu Dhabi, for example. So that was like a completely different job. Digital partners, completely different culture, different job completely. So that's how I ended up getting into it and just fell in love, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. So did you start off working in the the core reinsurance business? Because I, I guess digital partners wasn't wasn't a thing then, was it? Was it did it did it not exist? No, I started out actually in the life business, believe it or not. The life business in the UK. That's where I started out really business analysis, project management, and you know, that's when I first encountered an actuary. And again, I had no idea what an actuary was until I started working at Munich Re. Um, and I just learned so much from the, you know, different people. Uh, and I remember once one of the actuaries was trying to explain to me about what actuaries do. And he said, you know, we look for things in data that will help us influence pricing. And he told me about this um, rating factor that they have in life insurance called the heartbreak factor. And he said, when people who have been married for a certain amount of time, I think it's 60 years or something like that. If the woman dies before the man, the chance of the man dying within a year, it really shoots up like that. Um, and then after a year, it goes back down. And I, that was his simple way of teaching me what actuaries do. So I never forget that about the the heartbreak factor. <laughs> um, he also called yeah, me yeah, number. I'll, he also I'll, called I'll, me number dyslexic because I didn't know how to do conditional formatting in Excel. His name's Nick Robinson, by the way, just in case he listens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly the, uh, the 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 male reliance on uh, on, on our, our, our counterpart females is, uh, is is obviously apparent there, definitely. Yeah. Um, so so that's that's kind of really interesting. So you obviously went through that project management business analysis route, which I think is is a fairly common route into into kind of more senior leadership role, especially in insurance. Actually, a lot of lot of CIOs that that I know of anyway have come through that kind of delivery background rather than a pure technical background. Um, so so ha, talk, talk me through how you, how about you you how you kind of transitioned from that that Munich re 
um, core business role into into digital partners. Was that was that at the start of when 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 um, DP first came kind of came about? It was first idea. Did you go straight into that business, or was it was it operating and then you moved over? How, how did it all, all work? I think I was working in the life business for about four years, and I worked with a guy called Mark Dennis, who eventually became one of the founders of um, DP. He also worked within the life business, and he managed all of their projects. Then I did a secondment within um, Munich Re to a company called Demand, which is a subsidiary of Munich Re in Abu Dhabi, and they do health insurance. So I did that for a period of time. And I think personally, for anyone who's listening that gets the chance to work abroad, I would say do it because it really changed me as a person. Working in a different culture, in a different environment, it completely changed the way I interacted with people. It completely changed the way that I looked at stakeholders, how I delivered things. And I think it's just being in a totally different environment out of your comfort zone kind of throws you in the deep end. So when I came back, I think I'd really stepped up in terms of you know what I was capable of doing. And at that point, Mark had, Andy Rear had joined um, the life business in Munich Re. And he and Mark were working on a lot of projects in Asia and um, Australia. And so Mark asked me if, you know, if I could take over the UK side of things, which I did. Um, and then, you know, I did that for a couple of years. And then eventually I kind of outgrew what I could do in that role. And it just so happened around the same time that Mark and Andy um, formed, came up with the idea. Andy came up with the idea of digital partners and they formed it and Mark asked me if I wanted, wanted to join. So I like to claim to be the first employee, if you exclude those two. Um, and I didn't really, they didn't really know what they wanted me to do. I think at DP at the beginning, none of us knew what we were doing. It was just, we want to do something different. We want to work with yeah. startups. I think um, Stephen Mendel had spoken to Andy and that was the first real partner of DP was bought by many, who, as you know, now are massive, amazing unicorn and we were just trying to set up a you know an insurance carrier that could support them so yeah they asked me to join my first role there was program director had no idea what it meant I think for the first couple of years I was running HR and finance before we had any official people that could do that um, and that's really how I got involved uh, in DP. Yeah, I mean that's it's an amazing kind of journey. Like obviously, so they, I guess they spotted something in you that uh, that, that could take own, so, uh, take, kind of you, you could add to value and then, then evolve into it. So, did, did how did you find that? Because I guess it's uh, it, it's kind of going into something. It's a bit of a blank sheet of paper from from what you were probably used to, which is kind of much more corporate, much more structured, a lot more kind of governance around what you what you do and what you can and can't do. Um, it, it, I, I get you. I mean, having spoke to you a few times before this, I, I get the impression that that more entrepreneurial type of environment probably played to your strengths. But how, how was that making the transition over from, from something that wasn't like that initially? It was really, really exciting. And, you know, the, the, the first 18 months of DP, I think it's something that will be very, very, very difficult to ever experience again. It was just so great to be part of something from scratch. And it's not only building a business, it's building a culture and being able, you know, most companies, especially big companies, have been around for a long time. And to, to do a real shift in a culture, it, it's really difficult. And to be part of that and to be part of something that had so much energy and so, so much purpose and so much vision was really, really special. I think on the flip side of it, it was really, really hard work. You know, again, the the years that I don't think I'll ever work as hard as I did in those first couple of years at DP. You know, we used to work crazy hours, all of us. We used to work at weekends. Um, a lot of the time we didn't know what we were doing. So it was just constantly trying to figure things out, not really having a mold of how to do this or how to do that. 
but at the same time, I think I learned more in those two years than I had in the previous seven years. So it was really exciting. It was really fun. It was like a little family because it was so small and we were all just so involved in everything. I did so much traveling. It, it was just, it was great. Yeah, it sounds, sounds certainly sounds uh, interesting. I think you're right in insurance. And probably maybe a bit more so now with the... Um, the kind of the startup culture that there is in insurtech but but i think probably back then it was it was fairly unique those types of organizations so how did you how did so so you went you joined as a program director how did that evolve into becoming the the, the cio because you, you did that for a few years didn't you yeah the first year really was just about setting up the business and all of us that were involved no matter what our title was it was really just about how do we set up this business and make it work and hire the next couple of um, good people but then really my job became setting up the delivery function so that was the project managers and the business analysts and it was really their job to onboard the partners and help to get them in the market fill any gaps that they had and impart any insurance knowledge um, to the startups that we worked with um, and really my team at that point they were involved in the partners technology but at that point DP wasn't really building any technology itself you know so it was really any any technology that we were looking at was our partners um, and then as we grew we realized that you know we needed a data solution so you know there was this we had a small team of people that were building the data solution but we didn't really have a technology function and technology was kind of just floating around between different people and it didn't really have strategy or anything like that again I think I'd got to the point with the delivery team where I had hired some really good people one in Europe one in the US and, and just a team of people that you know, could manage themselves. And I felt like I could take technology and do something with it. Um, so, you know, I spoke to Mark and Andy at the time and said, you know, I'd really be interested to take over technology and um, see what I can do with it. And, you know, again, that's the kind of culture that we had in DP that there was a lot of trust. We were very, really empowered. It wasn't unusual for someone to take something and say, look, I'm really interested in that. I think I could do it because you'd proven yourself. And Andy always used to say to me that, you know, you don't need to be an expert in what you do. You need to hire great people and get out of the way. And I think with tech, I did both. You know, I, I took the time, like information security, for example, was something I didn't really know anything about. I took the time to do some training and courses to understand it. But I also hired an amazing CISO, um, James Harding, who made my life easy because he just knew how to work with startups and, you know, looked at a security from an angle that made sense for us as a business. Um, so that's really how that came about. And then I just, I, I loved it. And I think towards the end, I also got really involved with the data and analytics team, you know, technology and data tend to go hand in hand. So it was just a case of me saying, this is what I'm interested in. This is what I want to do. There isn't really anyone else to do it. I'm happy to. Um, and just, it went from there. Yeah, it sounds amazing, really, to give to give uh, give you that opportunity. It sounds like a, 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 what what a culture to be a part of. Do you know what I mean? The, 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 to to be a, some in in a business with people that trust you to do that kind of role without having done it before. It's uh, it, it's quite unique, especially as I say, especially in the insurance space. I think that's yeah. um, you, you tend to see a lot of the CIOs tend to have, have done those kind of roles before. It's actually quite hard for people. I'm always talking to people. Actually, it's quite hard to to get into that role, isn't it? That, that yeah. get your first first kind of gig doing it. Um, so, so I guess that kind of takes us on to kind of the, the, the here and now, really. I mean, obviously, as you mentioned pre previous, ju just just about kind of left the, the DP role. Um, what what's next on the agenda for for you? What's uh, what's uh, on what's the plan moving forward? 
Well, I, yeah, I recently left, uh, I think it was about four weeks ago now. So I'm officially a lady of leisure, which I'm enjoying, might I say. I've been <laughs> watching a lot of catfish. Um, but no, I've, I've been working nonstop pretty much since the age of about 15. My first job, by the way, was at QPR in uh, one of their food stands. Um, I think it was illegal because wow. I was actually 15. But anyway, so I, I've decided to have a little break. So August is my break. Um, I've got a couple of consulting gigs that I'm doing at the moment, but I also have a couple of business ventures that I'm working on, um, which hopefully should have some exciting news soon. So stay tuned and hopefully you'll have something exciting coming soon. Yeah, sound, sounds really good. Um, so, so I guess now, now you mean you've obviously... Um, You've obviously been working in the insurance space for a while, specifically in the insure tech kind of startup um, space, which is, I think, is is probably now busier and uh, and, and and more kind of buoyant with 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 kind of startups, especially off the back of, uh, of COVID, uh, as it has ever been. Really, it certainly lot seems to be a, a lot of movement in that space. So, what 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 do you see the, the what do you see the where do you see the market going over the next few years? What do you think is going to be big? What 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 are going to going to be the the big things that the, 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 the kind of change in the space over the next few years, do you think? I think InsureTech, the whole InsureTech ecosystem has really fundamentally changed a lot about the insurance industry and market, and it's forced people to think about things in a different way. So I think InsureTech, what they've done is they've really changed the way that they interact with the customer, the insurance company interacts with the customer, They've really changed the distribution model. They've really changed how insurance companies look at data. They've really changed like VC's interest in insurance companies. And, you know, every day you see that there's a new insure tech unicorn. But I think one of the big challenges that still exists is most insure techs are MGAs. So to varying degrees, they're always going to be at the mercy of the carrier that's behind them. Um, you know, you know, they're only going to be able to be as risky or to, to change the product as much as the insurance carrier allows them to be. You know, and there are some great insurance carriers out there that are being really innovative and flexible and are allowing these insure techs to build great products. But most of the time, the insurance carrier that sits behind still owns the pen, still holds the underwriting authority, still makes the final decision on the product. And personally, I think until there is an insurance company, like a brand new spanking insurance company that comes along that acts and behaves like an insure tech, that's when we'll see like a real, real disruption. It's really difficult to disrupt mm -hmm. insurance in, in the way, in the same way that it is some other industries we've seen, like taxis or, you know, maps, things like that. It's a lot more straightforward. Insurance is so heavily regulated and complex. It's not as easy, um, mm -hmm. you know, just to disrupt it. But at the moment, it's not like Monzo or Starling where they have completely disrupted in banking because they own the end-to-end -end process. With insurance, there still isn't a way of disrupting the whole end-to-end -end process. So I don't know if it will be in my generation or my time, but I think at some point someone will come along and say, hey, I'm just going to start an insurance carrier from scratch that has the same principles and the same values and the same mindset that, 
most of these insure techs that are around at the moment. And even, you know, some of the insure techs that are around at the moment are already doing that. They're already looking at ways that they can start taking capacity on themselves and taking some of that risk taking and saying, I want to become a carrier. I think Next and Hippo are perfect examples of that. Um, so either one of those yeah. insure techs that's already out there will, will become an insurance carrier um, or somebody will start one. What, what, what do you think about it? Yeah, because I think that's it. That's a really interesting point. Uh, the, the, the banking space and that fintech space definitely seem to be ahead of, ahead of insurance in, 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 in really, really kind of making a, a drastic change. And, and like you say, it, it seems like a lot of the, the insure tech businesses, they, they solve a certain part of the problem that is part of the cycle, but it's not drastically changing or revolutionizing the way, it, way it's, it's done. Um, and, and that to me, I mean, I, I, again, I'm limited knowledge, but it, it seems seems to be mainly because of the capital requirement that's required in insurance to be able to, to, to actually kind of do that is, is obviously limited from a startup. So maybe what's your view on some of the kind of the really big players, i.e. The, the Facebooks and Amazons and these types of people potentially venturing into it? Have you, in your role, have you ever seen, have you seen anything that's kind of yeah. walks towards maybe one of those kind of big players entering the market? Yeah, I think, you know, most of those players all have some insurance capabilities going on. I mean, Google hired Nigel Walsh recently, who runs their insurance. Um, Amazon have been playing in that space for a long time. I think the potential barrier which stops those businesses wanting to enter into the insurance space is those businesses are pure customer-centric businesses, right? Their number one priority is delivering a product that the customer wants. It's almost a contradiction for insurance. You can't always pay a claim. And really, the, you know, it really doesn't work. If you want to be completely customer centric, what you say is, oh, any claim that's under £100, we're going to pay it. But actually, then, you know, it's probably illegal, you know, in comparison to what the policy wording says. So I think that's why, you know, if one of those businesses came along and really did something big in insurance, it would be amazing. And I'm sure people would buy it. But I think for them, they would first have to figure out how to get past the fact that you can't always make the customer right or give the customer what they want because that just defies yeah. then the rules of insurance yeah yeah it's interesting and i think also the the, the regulation side of it i think they, they tend to operate t- try to operate in in industries that are a lot less regulated exactly. than the insurance space aren't they so i think that yeah. combination that's an interesting way of looking at it with the from the customers customer side of things because i've never really thought about that before but that, that's, that's exactly right people like amazon you you're always amazed at how 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 good their customer service is no matter how people's misgivings about the company that from a customer perspective they 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 base they they nail it don't they so yeah. um so that's a, it's an interesting way of um, of kind of looking at it um what what so so what do you see as you I mean obviously uh, the the kind of the, the challenges that uh, uh, insurance are facing what 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 do you see as the kind of the biggest challenge that the the, the insurance um space away from that uh, uh, kind of face at the moment what 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 do you what do you think are the big things that they're going to have to get over in the next next few years um yeah, like I said, I think the biggest challenge is that how how do you, how do the startups or how does anybody who's trying to disrupt insurance either move further along down the chain or how does that partnership between carrier and insurtech work even in you know even in an even better way so that the output for the customer can be something even better? And, you know, this is not me saying that in traditional insurance companies are bad. They're not. You know, they're very successful. 
in, insurance is a really great product that has a lot of benefit for a lot of people. Um, I think it's just a way about how finding a, a way that those two things can work together. You know, one of the things that DP tried to do was remove that friction between carrier and insurtech. And, you know, it's a healthy friction because, you know, you as an insurance company, you have to make sure that you're meeting regulation and that you're treating customers fairly and that you're giving them a price that makes sense and you're being transparent with your product. And like I said, if you're an insurtech, you want to give the customer the best product. You want to give them the best experience and trying to find a way for those two to work hand in hand is, is quite difficult. But, you know, there's a lot of great companies out there that are doing it and working together. And like you said, when DP first started, we were probably the first mover is kind of this middleman. Um, but there's a lot of great companies out there mm. now that are doing it and trying to make, you know, connect those two things in a more seamless way. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, sounds. I think it's certainly it's it's, uh, it's fascinating, isn't it? How things are going to go over the next few years. It's uh, it's certainly kind of primed and ready for for change for someone to come and d- disrupt it on on mul- from multiple angles. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I guess that the, the, so I wanted to move on to the next bit, and we we spoke about this uh, a bit before. I think uh, m- most people will uh, will know, and if they didn't, and um, that Joanne is a, is a female in uh, in the insurance space. Um, hot hot topic for 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 pretty much all sectors at the moment, but cer- certainly in insurance, I think uh, it, it's 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 right on the agenda for a lot of people to kind of readdress the. The, the balance of, uh, of 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 kind of how how insurance companies are set up, especially actually in leadership roles and even more so in technology, I think. So, how have how have you found that? Like, you I mean obviously you you've been in the space for a while. Um, it'd be good to understand kind of for people who, other other females that are, are, are listening, kind of how that journey's been and any kind of hurdles you've had to get over in order to to kind of get to the point where you are now. I think I think in a lot of industries it's it's still really difficult being a woman and trying to progress or you know not feeling like that you're underpaid or you missed a promotion because you're a woman or someone doesn't trust you because of that I, it has been difficult but you know my view is I'm really passionate about that it's important that there are females in leadership positions in insurance and there are females in leadership positions in technology so every time that I have come across a a hurdle you know all I do is keep going until I power on through because I think for every one of us that can make it through that just becomes a role model for someone else to believe that they can do it as well you know I remember I was really disheartened when I first started out um, in insurance that it doesn't matter whether it was a client or a customer or internally or externally I just never saw anybody that looked like me. And then I just thought, well, how am I ever going to get anywhere? Because nobody looks like me. So if, it can't be that no one else that's never looked like me is is, is not good enough to be here. Um, you know, and that's kind of where it started of, okay, well, I've got to try and get there. So that the next person that joins sees me and they know that they can do it. Um, so I think perseverance is, is really key. I think one of the other, one of the other things that I find quite frustrating is as you know now there's a real focus on you know there needs to be an x number of women or people of color or people of disabilities in leadership positions and nobody ever stops and questions why and nobody ever asks those people about their experience and a lot of the time what you get is okay well we've hired a brown woman now tick but you know I don't think anybody's ever asked me 
How do you feel? What was your experience? Did you go home and cry one evening because someone said something that made you feel like crap? Or did you not get paid the same as someone else? Or, you know, those kind of questions. And a lot of, you know, I'm not saying that these um, initiatives are, are not good. They are. But I think sometimes they could be looked at in a different way of kind of thinking more about the why and understanding people's experience as opposed to just ticking off a number and making sure that statistics add up. Yeah, I think I definitely, I definitely agree with that. I mean, obviously, in the in my line of work, you you, you see it kind of right at the coalface, and uh, and I think it's um, it's definitely a challenge. I mean, look, it, it, it's hard to it's hard to put more more women into a sector when you need some to an extent you need some sector experience, and therefore it's a, it's a bit of a kind of a a, a double negative, isn't it? You, you, if there's not there's not any women in in insurance, then you how how do you get more? But I, I certainly think. Um, People like yourself, and actually, uh, I don't know what your view is, but for, for me, I think it's it's about getting people actually into more senior roles, so people have something to aspire to, because yeah. that that's the challenge, right? You're not you're not going to sort this out by people um, coming in at a, a, a kind of a mid to senior level. You're going to sort it out by people coming in at, at the bottom and and having the ambition to to work it work it out. So, what 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 you mean on on that? You mean what what do you think the the, the real things that insure you I mean I think it's a really good platform now to like kind of, what, what what can insurance companies do like I mean that that's a based on what you've just said like what what are the things that you you've seen as a challenge what 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 do you think the the sector needs to do to really really kind of change the way they think about these things and, and get it sorted well I think one of the first um things to do is think stop and say why do you think you as CEO think it's important to have a woman in a leadership position forget whether it's technology insurance why do you think it's important to have women from a practical point of view i would say especially when it, you know this is not discounting any other type of inclusion but women make up 50 percent of the population right i i would imagine that the number of people that buy insurance and the number of people that use technology when it comes to men and women are probably equal so you've got products that you're that half of your customer base are women, half of your people that use your product are women, why wouldn't you want to have those people represented in your leadership team? Even even basic, like physically, men and women are very different. Me, the way I use an iPhone, I've probably got smaller hands. So there's probably something really ergonomic about an iPhone that suits men and women. And the only reason that would have been found out is because Apple either would have spoken to customers who were women and or they would have had women in their leadership team who said, actually that didn't work for me because of X. And again, I think this is where if you can move away from the we need to have versus why we should, I think it makes that, you know, when you're then passing on that message as a CEO to your business to say, there's real value in having women in our leadership team because firstly, they make up half of our customer base. Second of all, it gives us a really different diverse opinion. You believe in that. If you actually believe in that as a CEO, when you're telling your your business and your team why that's important and when they do recruitment they're going to believe you and they're going to want to do the same if you're just saying to people you know if you're just somebody who's a middle manager who you know not really interested in that kind of stuff you come in to get your paycheck and someone says oh you've got to hire a woman you have no idea why you're doing it you're just going to get frustrated and say oh, i don't know why i'm doing it so I think it's really, really important from the top level that before anyone even starts to get to the point of putting initiatives in place is to understand why you're doing it. 
The second thing I would say is when it does come to these initiatives, it's really great that you have people that are passionate about it and get involved, but go and speak to those people that are affected and ask them, tell me about your experiences that you've had. You know, and it doesn't need to be, let's look at our statistics over the last five years and say, five years ago, we had this many, this many. Yeah, of course you've got more now because now you go to the recruiter and say, send me only female CVs. You know, there's, but that doesn't mean that those women that are now there have a better experience. So speak to those women, understand what their experiences are. And it's not just women, obviously, it's, you know, black people, gay people, people with disabilities, people with medical conditions, speak to them and understand what it is that makes their life difficult or on the positive, why they like working there. So I just think it it should be a lot more qualitative Mm. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of assumptions, isn't there? I think in in that thing, people make assumptions, and and generally it's it's people who who aren't who are who are white, who are male, who who make those those assumptions without really having any first hand experience or, or any any kind of real real research into it. So I think that's uh, that's some really really good points there, definitely. Um, and 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 I guess the, the I mean the, the the obvious one is look, you're a, you're a successful female in insurance what what would you what would you give and um, what advice would you give to to other people who are kind of maybe even just starting out you I mean um, people who are, are kind of grads that it's a perfect time for people looking to go insurance what why would you what would advice would you give to people that want to move up that ladder either on it at the moment or thinking about insurance what 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 what, what would you what would you say to those people um i think this is one that i always say to anyone that works with me and they're probably sick of hearing it but the stakes are low right you work in insurance you're not saving anyone's life you're not going to kill anyone with what you do so if something goes wrong or it doesn't work out don't stress about it it's not the end of the world it's okay to make mistakes. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of people will be scared to do things because they're worried about the outcome. I've learned the most in the situations where I've really messed up. And so I think actually sometimes doing something wrong teaches you a lot more than, than doing the right thing. What else would I say? You know, don't be scared. Again, this is another thing for insurance. Don't be scared to challenge kind of the status quo. In insurance, you know, I I can't tell you the amount of times I heard because that's how we do it or that's how it's always been done. So that's how we've got to do it. But you, if you keep on asking, yeah, but why, 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 what you'll find out is most of the time people don't know why. So there's a lot of things that that are done. Again, it, it takes a lot of courage in an industry that's as old as insurance is and is kind of set in its ways as an industry to challenge that. Um, and I think if, if you really want to make a difference, you know, don't be scared to do that. And that doesn't need to be in an obnoxious or arrogant way. You can do it in a, you know, a really positive way. You know, you can come with a solution why something could be done different in a better way. Um, so I would say don't be scared to challenge. And again, like it's, it kind of linked to the first one, but if it's not going to matter in five years, don't spend five minutes worrying about it. People spend so much time stressed and upset you, you go to work so that you can live the life that you want to live. You know, you shouldn't be going to work and then coming home and being upset or anything like that. It's, things always work out the way they're, they're supposed to. Opportunities won't always be there. Then you create them. Just just don't give up. Be perseverant. Yeah, yeah, definitely great, great advice. You mean it's a good segue to the to the next point. Um, living the life you want, you you want to live. Um, so so t- tell us about jo- tell us about Joanne away from uh, work. Like uh, uh, people should know, the first probably three times I spoke to Joanne <laughs> on the phone, she was always on holiday. Um, 
and we uh, we share a common denominator in the fact that both of our brothers live in uh, in Dubai. So uh, therefore, I think we we haven't actually been there at the same time. We've crossed paths, I think, near enough at the airport a few times. But um, apart from from uh, going to the to the Middle East and uh, and and, uh, and and enjoying Dubai, what 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 does uh, what does Joanne do away from work? <laughs> Nothing else apart from going to Dubai. Now, I would say in a similar vein, I love <laughs> I, I do love traveling. That's probably the thing. Aside from buying shoes, that's the thing I love most in the world is is going on holiday. So pre-COVID, I, I spent half my life on a plane. Um, I really love Arab countries and Arab culture. So you'll usually find me somewhere in the Middle East or North Africa, somewhere like that. Um, I love music. I love going to festivals. I love concerts. I'm a big old school garage fan. Love a bit of 90s R&B. Um, uh, I think again, was it 2019? Combined them both. I went to Afro Nation in Ghana, which is an Afro Afro Beats festival. Oh wow! Ghana's where my dad's from, so yeah, I went with my brother. It was amazing. Yeah, so that's really what I like yeah, doing. Yeah, sounds great. Do, did you do you find? Because um, I, I think typically now, with, like work life balance is uh, is obviously hot on the agenda. Like especially the work from home thing and stuff like that is is people have kind of really got into that over the last year, but by necessity, but certainly top of people's agenda moving forward. Do, do you find it quite easy to kind of switch off away from work? Like I think that's uh, historically that's like normally a, a real challenge. Like I know it's something I've I've always struggled with, and my wife is always uh, <laughs> getting my case about not not kind of putting the phone down and stuff like that when you go on holiday. Is that is that something you've found quite easy to do or how, how have you handled that? It's fluctuated um, um, throughout my career. I think, you know, like something like DP at the beginning, it, it, it wasn't a requirement that you had to be like that, but you kind of had to be like that in order to make it a success, which was there wasn't really yeah. that much of a boundary, but I didn't really care because I really liked doing it. And I think the one thing when it comes to work-life balance is, I used to really hate it when someone would give feedback about somebody in my team when they would say, oh, you know, they should really spend more time in their private life and have a work-life balance. Why is that your decision? If somebody loves to work and they want to work all the time, that's up to them. Like, if it's your wife telling you off, it's a different story. But at work, if, (laughs) if somebody wants to work all the hours God sends, that's totally in their gift because maybe it maybe they don't have anything outside of work and that makes them really happy. And of course, there's this boundary, particularly if you're a senior person, that if you're sending all the emails at all the hours God sends, people then think that they have to do that. So, you know, that's when it can be a bit iffy. But I think, you know, there is ways around that. You can explain to people that you don't have to do that just because I do it. Me personally, I think I have learned over the years to do, you know, to have a a better work-life balance. I used to work on the weekends a lot, you know, maybe four or five years ago. I would never dream of working on the weekend now, unless it was, again, something super duper important. I I think it all depends on what you've got going on and what you enjoy. Um, I think with anything in life, when you try and dictate to people how they should or shouldn't behave or how they shouldn't shouldn't spend time, how they shouldn't spend their time, people just get annoyed at you. I think the, the best thing about you know, working from home and COVID and all that it's done to accelerate this flexible working is that I think what it's fundamentally said is let people work however they want to work. If people want to work at two o'clock in the morning, unless they're in a job that requires them to speak to people within a particular number of hours, they're probably going to be the most productive when they work, when they, when it makes the most sense for them. So I think flexibility is the key. 
Yeah, definitely. You definitely get more out of happy workers, don't you? Like yeah. people who are happy generally perform well, and whether that means that they're working in the evening or whatever, or they can drop their kids off at school, I think that's 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 definitely uh, something that we've got to explore. It's it's, it's going to be huge, isn't it? Over yeah. the next uh, the next couple of years, how that how that really pans out, I think is uh, it, we we've had a, such a change. So it'd be interesting to see how that that works out over the next next few years. Maybe, maybe we're uh, We'll all be able to work from Dubai and uh, and, and, and get, get so. the best of both worlds. <laughs> pay no tax. Um, yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah, definitely one of the benefits. Um, the um, so so basically, we're coming towards the end now. But the um, I, I, I we've kind of three questions that I ask everyone at the end, and uh, and and you kind of t- totally open to answer them however you wish. But um, first one is, what is it you love about insurance and insurtech? Like, what's uh, the, what what is the the part of that space that you love about it? However many years you've been doing it now, it must be something. I mean, the thing that I love about insurance in itself, forget the industry, forget insurtech, whatever. Insurance itself as a product is a really powerful and, and positive product. So you think about life insurance. Life insurance really has the ability to create generational wealth. Like if you've got, if you're living in poverty and you've got a life insurance, you could pass that on to your children and take them out of poverty. Health insurance is and can be the difference between life and death. Like the NHS is effectively a claims provider for the national insurance that we, you know, we forget the national insurance is an insurance, you know, that comes out of your salary. Um, something like business interruption yeah. insurance, it could be the difference between your business surviving and your your business failing. Um, but, but nobody thinks mm. about it or talks about it. You know, if someone came up to you one day and said, I'm going to give you a product that could potentially make you rich, save your life and keep your business successful. You'd be like, I want it. But for whatever reason, that sentiment of what insurance actually is as a product is completely lost. And all everyone thinks of insurance is that it's a con. They don't want it. They buy it because they, you know, they have to. With knowing that underneath it all, there is really a great product. With InsureTech and everything that comes along with it, there's this really amazing opportunity to kind of rebrand insurance to back to what it probably originally was instead of this really complex regulated doesn't help me at all product actually if people looked back on their life and realized and stopped and thought about it and go actually what about when I wrote my car off I could drive the next day to work or what about when I broke my ankle I was able just to go to the hospital and get my ankle fixed it's not even just individuals as a nation or a culture countries that have a high insurance penetration tend to have like higher, you know, better medical and better health rates and, you know, a better economy. There is a correlation between it. And all of that good stuff is just completely lost. Um, So one day I'd like to be able to do something that make people believe back in the positive product that it really is. Yeah, that's a, that is an amazing way of putting it. Actually, I mean, it, it's so true, isn't it? The, 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 there is a massive negative connotation against traditional insurance that's obviously built up over decades and decades and decades. Um, but actually, at its heart, it's just trying to protect people, like that's uh, in, in some way, shape, or form, and give you give you some kind of comfort in the fact that you 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 won't be uh, incur a big loss. But maybe maybe the next few years, that's the that's the plan. You uh, you you do something that that, that is is kind of happy insurance and bring brings back the the, the smile to the insurance space. That'd be that'd be a good good mission to go on. Yeah. Um, 
So obviously, I, I know. I mean, at the moment, the, the virtual desk sounds like it's a bit more, a bit more like the, uh, the, the virtual sofa. But I was just going to say I'm that. I'm sure there's some work in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but what, what's the best? What's the best thing about being in, in your position at the moment, like in um, but behind the desk or bracket sofa, apart, yeah. apart from TV shows? What's um, that? What's the uh, What's the best thing about being you at the moment? I think you've actually answered that for me. I was going to say that one, it's not a desk; it's a sofa. And two, that I can continuously <laughs> catfish on in the background. But no, I think the main thing is, is you know, I live on the outskirts of London. So my commute to work was an hour, an hour, 15 minutes. And I think getting to be at home and, and be around, it means I get to spend a lot more time with my family and my friends and just do the things that I want to do. Uh, you know, I think the fact that I'm having this break also, it's given me a lot of time to reflect on what I've done and really think about these things. I, I have questioned myself, like, do you want to stay in insurance? Why do you want to stay in insurance? You could do anything that you wanted to do. But actually, for you know, for some of the reasons why I've told you, I'm really passionate about certain things. And I, I really do believe that I can make a difference. So, yeah, those are some of the reasons why I think it's great to be on my sofa <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's a, it's a bit it's a bit kind of start start of something new, right? Like it's uh, that, that's that's got to be, that's got to be a positive. It's uh, of all the things we said, there's there's it's like a huge opportunity and and the knowledge you've got. I think uh, there's definitely a platform there, hoping to do something really cool. Um, and and then I mean the last the last question is, and I won't make you answer this. So uh, that that was one of the things I, I kind of I, I promised that I wouldn't just ask people this question. But what's the one question I should have asked you, but but I didn't? What is my why? <laughs> the Simon Sinek, the, yeah. yeah, that's a that's a good one. But but that's probably a whole podcast. In fairness, <laughs> we, we, we we could we could have done 30, 40 minutes on on that. But yeah, that's a good one. Cool, yeah. right? And then and then so to fin finish up, we I do uh, the the a little bit of a, a, a bit of fun towards the end. So that quick fire questions. I've got six um, for you today. So um, first of all, what what is the one piece of technology you couldn't live without? Um, in case you couldn't already guess, probably the TV. <laughs> I love I love watching really bad films. So like you know those terrible films that A listers are in yeah. in the eighties. Those type of films. I love a bit of catfish. Yeah. I also like having the TV on. Is, is like white noise. So I, half the time I don't even watch it, but I'll still have it on in the background because it just makes me feel better. But if you ask me what was the best piece of technology, I'd probably say the internet. I think it just enables everything. So yeah, yeah. that's it. You'd you, you, you be you get on so well. My wife, she's always <laughs> got the TV on, even when she's not watching it. It's oh, like, same. It literally drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's always just on her phone, watching the TV on. Um, well, look, I mean, on that on that topic, and um, second one is is what is your what's your favourite film or or TV series? I let you have a, like a Netflix series or something like that if you've got if there is one. My favourite film is A Bronx Tale. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a Robert De Niro. Brilliant film. It was, I think it was the yeah. first film he directed and it's a gangster story based in the Bronx. But it's also got a bit of a love story and there's a racial element to it and there's a lot of morals. Um, and I love Robert De Niro. Yeah. So that's probably my favourite film. Favourite Netflix yeah. series. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, so I was just going to say my favourite Netflix on, series, there was one called Unorthodox. I don't know if you saw that. It was about um, the really strict yeah. Jews, uh, again, in New York, and just one girl's story of getting out of that um, that I really liked. 
Yeah, I've seen that. So Bron- Bronx Tale would definitely be my top five. So you're, you're, you mean it's amazing. I've got good taste. I haven't seen that film, but uh, yeah, ma- 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 amazing film, amazing film. Um, so uh, next one, um, which brand or company do you really admire? I really, really like Monzo, um, mainly because it's taken something which is so, well, was so mundane, banking, but also so fundamental. And I actually like interacting with my Monzo, you know, my Monzo app. I use it every day. I love writing little messages to people when I send them money. Um, I think I could be a salesperson for Monzo. Every person I meet, I'm like, have you not got a Monzo account? (laughs) And I think any any piece of technology or any business which creates a verb, so like Google, Google it or Uber, Uber it. When I talk to my friends, I say, shall I monzo you? I think you're doing something right. So, yeah, I love their customer experience. It's great. Yeah, yeah I'm going to have to have a look at that. Then. I haven't got a monzo account. I'm a, I'm a first direct customer, but I'm a bit like I'm a bit like that. No, them, to be fair. you need to like you need to get a monzo. <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll definitely look at it, but the the fact that I can ring first direct and it's a person that answers. If there's anyone got wants advice on call centers, do, do that because it's so 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 good. Um, so ne- next one, um, business book that any kind of particular business book that you love or you'd recommend to anyone? Well, I think you you mentioned it, but start with why Simon Sinek is is my favorite. I think yeah. it really really changed the way I think about things in that. Uh, for those of you who haven't read it, it you know he has this um, concept which is called the golden circle and it's almost think of it like a dartboard that has three rings and the outside one is what and then the middle one is how and the middle one is why and it's he he says something like um most people most businesses know what they do some of them know how they do it but not very many of them know why and even the way they communicate with people uh, it starts with what then how and then maybe not even why but businesses and people that start with why, they're usually more inspirational and more successful because people people don't buy what you sell, they buy what you believe. Um, so if you can make people believe in, in what you do, they're more likely to be invested in you. And I think he's got some really good advice, like don't hire people that wanna do a job because they will do the job so that they get paid. If you hire someone who believes in you, they'll give you blood, sweat and tears because they'll believe in it too. And I think you know, a good quote that he has or a reference, I think I saw it on his TED talk. He said, you know, Martin Luther King's speech was, I have a dream, not I have a plan. You know, people are obsessed about having a plan and how they're going to get there. But there were so many people at the time when civil rights was going on that were saying, this is what we should do. And all those people went out to listen to Martin Luther King because he had a dream and they believed in it and they bought into his why. So, yeah, I think just making sure that in everything you do, that you understand why you're doing it is really important. Yeah, that's it. You I mean that that TED talk is amazing. If people haven't watched that, that's uh, it's a really good eye opener. Makes really makes you think, doesn't it? Um, yeah. The uh, okay, ne- next one. Um, <laughs> uh, if the first thing you would buy if you won the lottery. Definitely be a dark grey Audi R8. So I've been wanting to buy an R8 for years <laughs> since they came out. Uh, I can't remember what year it was now. Was it 2006? Maybe. And um, obviously I couldn't afford it. Yeah. But I'm also a very sensible, logical person, right? So I don't spend a load of money on cars because I don't drive very much. And the reason why it'd be the first thing that I do, it was not the ultimate dream car, right? But you could do, if you've got that money in your bank, go down to Audi and buy it the same day. So I think it would be that. Yeah, but I mean, I think you've got, you've got to have those things that have stayed with you for a while. <laughs> yeah. I, I always remember when I was a kid, like 
a Ferrari F40 was like the car that when I, when I was when I was like 14 or something like that. I just always thought I'd buy one. But I thought you were going to say a place in Dubai. That'd be the second <laughs> thing you'd buy. Oh yeah, I'd have more than one. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, and then last but not least, if you weren't a, a, a CIO, what what would you be? Um, it would be a toss up between like some kind of criminal forensic psychologist because I'm obsessed with true crime and people that, okay, I don't love my husband anymore, so I'm going to kill him and then try and chop him up and put him in. I just don't, I don't understand Like you can get a divorce. It's not that difficult. So something to understand is those people <laughs> or a DJ because I love music and imagine just getting paid to listen to music and have a good time. Oh yeah, my my best friend is a is a DJ, and uh, yeah, it's a, he lives he lives a pretty impressive life, I can assure you. But okay, cool. Look, I mean that's uh, that is the end of the the podcast. So, Joanne, thank thanks so much. Some, some absolutely amazing snippets and insights there for for the people that are, are listening. And um, I think there's some some really interesting stuff there, albeit. And, and and just just stuff that actually I think we can uh, we can look out for for the future. It's really interesting, refreshing to hear someone talk about uh, insurance so passionately and, uh, and 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 kind of the the stuff that I think that you've um, you're looking to do moving forward. Be really interesting to see see what see what you do and how it all works out. Um, naturally, I say to everyone like if anyone wants to reach out or wants to kind of connect with you or, or, or get or get in touch about anything that you're you're doing or in the future, you, are you okay to do that? And 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 you mean what's the best platform? Is it is it kind of LinkedIn and stuff? That that is it, can, can people connect you on that yeah feel free to drop me a line on linkedin i always like to hear from people if they've listened to something that i've um, spoken about especially if it resonates with them again it goes back to that point of when you're talking about you know what what can we do as an industry i think making yourself accessible to people um is really important you know i've had cases where i've seen someone that i admire and then i try and contact them and linkedin and it's like well, you can't contact me unless you've got 10,000 followers or something like that, you know? So yeah, feel free to get in touch. Fantastic. Cool. Well, look, you mean, thank, thanks so much again for, for making the time to, to speak to me and all, all the listeners. Th- thanks for listening to uh, Behind the Desk. Um, this has been Behind the Desk with Joanne Sappho. Um, there's more episodes to come. So if you want to reach out to Joanne or, or myself, feel free to do so. And uh, we'll speak to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. If you like the episode, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, like and a comment, and even better, please share with your friends and colleagues. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so at linkedin.com forward slash Mark Thomas and the number zero. It would be great to hear from you. Equally, if you have any suggestions for future guests or other areas you'd like me to explore, it would be great to hear them too. Behind the Desk is powered by Eames Consulting, part of the Eames Group. You can find out more about us at eamesconsulting.com. Thanks again for listening and I look forward to catching up with you again next time.